Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Doma Media. Today, we have probably one of my favorite guests we've ever had on this podcast, Dr. Greg Blonder, and we go in deep on microwaves, probably my favorite machine in the kitchen of all time. And on the top of this podcast, I go on a rambling, incoherent rant about my fast food ordering logic dealing with milkshakes and hamburgers. And that's all coming right up. This episode is brought to you by Smucker's Uncrustables. I love a food hack. Check out Uncrustables, the best part of the sandwich. It's a round, crimped sandwich made with soft, pillowy bread filled with peanut butter and jelly. The best part is you simply freeze and thaw them, pop them straight from the freezer into a lunchbox for less work on a busy morning. You'll find Smucker's Uncrustables in the freezer aisle. Learn more at Uncrustables.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, everybody. I wanted to talk about a dilemma that I usually have when I'm ordering fast food hamburgers. And in Los Angeles, it's like fast food capital. There's more kinds of fast food than anywhere, and drive through is king, especially now during quarantine. And I realized that every time I've ordered a hamburger meal, I've had this dilemma that I believe most of you maybe can be able to relate to. See, I have a problem, number one, of overordering, but two, I never know to get a soda or to get a milkshake. And oftentimes I get both, but that's just like too much. And especially if you're eating with someone else, you don't want to look like a total glutton, right? So like there's something very refreshing about getting a fast food milkshake. And even though they're full of stabilizers and guar gums and things that prevent it from ever melting, it just sort of hits the spot with a burger and a french fry. But the problem is when you get a milkshake, the first sort of five to 10 minutes of a fresh milkshake are impossible to drink. And you need to quench your thirst. You need to be able to wash down your food with something and nothing beats a soda, a Coca-Cola, a Sprite, a ginger ale, whatever, lemonade, iced tea. You need some kind of beverage. But the allure of having a milkshake foils me every goddamn time. Because what's the point of getting a meal when you have to get another soda? And you don't want to share a soda with somebody. So I never get a milkshake and a soda. If I'm ordering drive through I'm like, maybe I have a bottle of water. I'll drink that and I'll have a milkshake. But water and a milkshake just don't work. To me, it just... I don't want to have something that's very sweet and dairy-driven and then just drink water. Like, I feel like the the right pairing for a milkshake is a soda. And I just don't know what to do. And I'm always left disappointed in myself because I always get the milkshake and then I have to chase it down with some water or get a small cup of water or some half-drink bottle of water that you find in your backseat of your car. And I was like, does anyone else have this problem? Does anyone else even want to order milkshakes? And then if I got I got to think, like, what are my favorite kinds of fast food milkshakes? Uh, I'm not a Carl's Jr. expert. I know some people really love it. Uh, I'm not a fan of Arby's. Growing up, I went to Roy Rogers a lot in the D.C. area, and I thought they had good milkshakes. McDonald's was always, like, mid-tier, although the McFlurry is tremendous. I grew up, and I still think my favorite, personal favorite kind of milkshakey thing is a Wendy's Frosty, but you definitely can't drink that goddamn thing. That is a spoon-eating thing. You cannot drink it unless it's fully melted. So, you know, that sort of leaves me with the machine milkshake kind of thing that you get at McDonald's or in in and out And I, I almost always get a strawberry or a black and white milkshake in in and out but I don't love the in and out milkshake. I think that it's too sweet. And the reason why I like a a sweet thing, like a milkshake, is like, it just, for me, I don't know if it's nostalgia, but it pairs really well. The dairy, I don't know, the the sweetness with French fries and a cheeseburger, 
but it also doesn't, it's hard to beat like a Coca-Cola with a burger too. So I don't know. I think I make a ordering mistake by getting a milkshake every time. And I haven't yet come up with the courage to also order a soda. I want to know, does anyone out there get a milkshake and a soda? And is anyone else, when they order a milkshake in a combo, do they feel disappointed because they can't really quench their thirst or wash down their food because they're about to burst a goddamn vein in their forehead trying to suck down a fresh milkshake that, you know, you can't really drink through a straw. It's a spoon type of thing. And the one place that has really good milkshakes, the concretes at Shake Shack, I don't order enough of. Why? I don't know. Because I don't know. There's maybe a nostalgia because I like the super artificial intentionally crappy milkshakes that most of the fast food chains sell. And I think that if you were going to say on pure technique and flavor, I think Shake Shack has best-in-class milkshake type of things and ice cream where everything else, and I love the soft serve kind of ice cream you get that is sort of the base for a lot of these milkshakes are great. But at the end of the day, I sound like a basket case and you are getting a glimpse in my brain when I order drive through and the car behind me is like, hurry the hell up, order. I'm usually trying to debate how many milkshakes or, or like, do I get a soda and a milkshake? And I've never come up with the right answer. As you can see, I sound like a head case right now. So you can imagine, like, I want to get a milkshake. There's something about getting a milkshake that I like a lot, but it never actually does the job of making me feel happy. And when I just get a soda, you know what I'm thinking about? Shit, I should have gotten a milkshake. And I feel like you look like an idiot and a total glutton if you get both. So that's my dilemma. Want to get into the show we recorded a podcast with someone that I've been wanting to get on this podcast since the very beginning. And I am, you know, we've had a lot of great guests, but I am so goddamn excited to get Professor Greg Blonder on. And we are going to talk mostly about microwaves. Greg Blonder is the professor of mechanical engineering, design, and product engineering at Boston University. He has a BS in physics from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, doesn't let dummies in. And he's got his PhD in physics from Harvard. And you should check out his website where he practices a lot of these things that he is going to talk about on this podcast at genuineideas.com. That's one word, genuineideas.com. You should check it out. Clearly, I love the microwave. I just don't understand why it's not being used more. And I get quite upset when people think that it's unsafe and creates unhealthy foods. It's an amazing tool. And I think people should probably look at it more as like a high-tech steamer in some ways, but also a tool that should save you a lot of time, even if you're going to cook stuff on the stove. And Greg Blonder is here to sort of dispel a lot of the myths about microwaves. If you're a fan of microwaves... I think you're going to love this. If you're still on the fence about microwaves, I encourage you to listen to this. And if you hate microwaves, I hope that you listen to this with an open heart, open mind, and realize that there's nothing really to be scared about. So here's my conversation with Professor Greg Blonder and Chris Young. I am very, very excited to have a special guest today on the show. He is Greg Blonder, professor of mechanical engineering, design, and product at Boston University. And he's here to talk about microwaves. And I tell everyone that I know that I work with, saying like, I need to get a microwave expert. And not only are you an expert, you graduated from MIT, you got your master's and PhD in physics at Harvard University. So you clearly are probably the smartest person we've ever had on the show. So I apologize if you have to talk to a dummy like me. And Chris is way smarter than I am. But No, no, no. I'm so excited about this too, Dave, because we could, we finally have like real information and a person who can who can speak intelligently to this thing that we, we yammer about. And Dr. Blonder, he has a website called genuineideas.com. And why don't I let you speak? Do I call you doctor or professor? Professor or Greg will do fine. Professor. First of all, why and how did you get interested in food to begin with? 
Um, because the food in the cafeteria was so bad at MIT. So <laughs> I started, I started, uh, you know, cooking in the dorm. I lived in a dorm, which actually, um, for interesting reasons, we don't have time to go into, had a, a, a sink in every room. Um, and, uh, so it was easy to kind of cook there, the hot plate. So I became the master of, uh, one pot cooking. You know, you would, um, fry up some bacon, then you would leave the grease in, you would use that to cook some vegetables, you take the vegetables out, you put some bread in, you'd make a toasted cheese, put the bacon in, you know, everything in one pot. That is literally my favorite way of cooking. Um, <laughs> oh man, you're a hero. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Um, I don't even know where to begin because I'm overly excited uh, to talk about, I want to, I could talk to you about so many things, but I really wanted to have you on to be sort of the definitive source of information, at least for the listeners and the people that sort of get irritated when I talk about the virtues of my cooking in a microwave and, and the microwave. And why are people so scared of using a microwave? Well, there's scared and then there's also um, concern that the quality of the food is going to be low. The scared goes back to well, microwaves, waves, uh, heating things up, nuclear energy. So it's always intimidated people. Uh, that's why when people call it nuking, that freaks out the companies who make microwave ovens because they don't want to be associated with the word. You know, MRI machines are actually nuclear magnetic resonance imaging machines, but they pulled the nuclear off because it was scaring people hmm. because it's just like microwave ovens. The energies are too low to hurt you, and the energies in the microwave oven are way too low to be damaging. So the first reason is there's this residual concern that maybe it's doing something funny to the food or doing something funny to your brain. But the other reason is the quality of the food that came out of microwaves in the early days was laughable, abysmal. And uh, you have to remember the heyday of microwave ovens occurred in the heyday of uh, industrialized food in this country. You know, in the 60s and 70s, you had your TV dinners, you had your white bread made with a hundred chemicals and maybe a little bit of wheat. <laughs> you couldn't buy a mushroom in the store if you tried. We were living in a food desert for about 20 years and microwaves kind of hit at the same time and I think was tarred by the, just the general poor quality of food in this country at that time. Can I play devil's advocate really quick here? I've got to assume that the, the reason why microwaves are scary is because it does seem magical. <laughs> you know, like this thing that's supposed to take me 45 minutes to heat up takes 98 seconds. And you've got to assume that something untoward is happening there. Can you maybe just start by telling us how does a microwave actually work? How does it heat food so much faster than, you know, traditional means? Uh, sure. Well, there's a couple of parts to the story. The first part is you need a, a source of microwaves. So uh, microwaves are uh, electromagnetic signals, just like light, just like x-rays. It's in, they're all in the same family, and they just vary based on the wavelength, how many times a second they turn on and off, the frequency. And microwaves turn on and off about two and a half billion times a second, which seems like a large number, but it's 10,000 times less than, than light, heat, that comes off of an infrared oven. So it's a relatively gentle uh, wave. It comes out of an object called a magnetron that we can talk about later. That was the big invention in the 40s. But it comes out of this tube inside of the oven. You can't see it. It's hidden behind the wall. It's like a vacuum tube that's in an old radio. That's what a magnetron is. It's a vacuum tube. It has a little hot wire inside that boils electrons off. It's got a magnet, high voltage, and it makes microwaves. And the microwaves are then directed inside of a metal box, and they bounce around. And if there's nothing in there, they just bounce back out again. But if there's something in there that can absorb the microwave, then all the energy in the wave ends up in the object, in the food. And so it turns out these waves like to shake around atoms, which are um, a little asymmetric. So they can uh, be tugged on on opposite sides. And every time you kind of tug on it, it's like take a rubber band, you ever stretch it, it gets warm. You kind of pull back and forth on the atom, it gets warm. Mm. Just like when you pull a rubber band back and forth. And so that's what happens. You've got these waves coming in. They're tugging on the atoms, some atoms more so than others. So it really likes to tug on water. It likes to tug on oils. Other atoms, it just passes right through. Uh, paper, cellulose molecules, it doesn't really interact with very much. 
Some glasses, it'll heat up and crack. Other glasses, it'll pass right through. You have to find something that's microwave safe. But that's what it is. It's basically uh, vibrating atoms to heat them up. Now, is it actually more efficient than a regular oven? That, of course, is a question, right? Mm-hmm. And the answer is it's, it is for short cooks. So in a short cook, what happens is uh, you put electricity into the microwave oven. It goes into this thing that makes microwaves. And that's not very efficient. It's only about 60% or 50% efficient. So you're already throwing half the energy away to make microwaves. Whereas in a regular oven, every watt of energy that goes into that heater turns into heat inside the oven. An oven is 100% efficient. A microwave is about 50% efficient. But the oven, you have to heat up all that steel and all that glass and everything else. So in a short cook, even though you've thrown half the energy away to make the microwaves, what you do make instantly turns into heat, whereas in a regular oven. So it turns out in a microwave oven, if it's something that you cook, and it depends on the brand oven, but, you know, under 20 minutes of leaving it on, the microwave wins over the regular oven. For like a three-hour cooking short ribs, you know, down, a regular oven is actually more efficient than the microwave. So the microwave is more efficient in that kind of zero to 20-minute window. Can we go back to the microwaves a little bit? Because I think the general fear is that if you use it, I mean, I've seen this on comments on social media where people are like, you're going to get people sick. You're going to give cancer to your children. You're polluting the environment. You're polluting your body. And, you know, I've even talked to chefs. They're like, "Uh, yeah, I use it, but I'm scared. So I walk away. I'm like, you know, 10 feet away from the microwave and (laughs) I never put my face to it. Can you dispel a lot of this about the microwave that it is dangerous to your health in any capacity? Sure. So there's a bunch of places, as you said, there's a lot of ways people can imagine that it might be dangerous. Uh, one, One way is that it leaves behind some nuclear radiation. You know, your food is somehow microwave radioactive. That's absolutely impossible. It is 10,000 times too weak to break an atom apart and make it radioactive. And, and, <laughs> and it's easy to test. You can test it with a Geiger counter. I have a Geiger counter at home, like all good scientists. There's, there's no, there's no radiation, nuclear radiation inside the oven that's persistent. That's in there after you take the food out. Uh, and, and by the way, there's a little bit of nuclear radiation in, in uh, banana peels. They have radioactive phosphorus in it. For example, a lot of the food you eat has a little bit of radiation in it but there's none due to the microwave. The next thing you worry about is somehow, somehow those microwaves leak out through the holes in the window in the microwave oven, or maybe through a gap because your kids were swinging from the door and they bent the thing. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Microwaves are about three, four inches long, five centimeters, really big. And you should think of those holes in the window as like the holes in a sieve in a colander. And you're never going to find an apple to go through those tiny holes in the sieve. And it's the same thing with the microwaves. The microwaves come up to the window. They're so large, they cannot squeeze out through the holes, and then they bounce off. Even if you – you can't do it because there's an interlock. But even if you defeated the interlock in the microwave and cracked it open by a quarter of an inch, they wouldn't get out. So they they just simply cannot escape from that metal cage that they're in. And actually, you can put your nose right up to it. There's no signal. And what, uh, something people sometimes do, and maybe you've seen these, you get these little um, strips you can put on the back of a phone, and they, there's an LED that lights up whenever the cell phone turns on. Uh, they're mm-hmm. really popular in Taiwan and other places. So you just stick it on the back of your phone, and some of the uh, cellular energy that comes out of the phone goes into this little LED, and it, it blinks on. Now, it turns out cell phones are at the same frequency as microwaves. Cell phones are about well, 1.9 gigahertz. Microwaves are 2.45 gigahertz. They're very close to each other. You can buy those and put it on your microwave oven. They never light up. So we absolutely know for theoretical reasons and for quality measurement reasons, they never get out. And then that leaves the third category. People worry that somehow the microwaves cook the food and create toxic chemicals, mm-hmm. you know, some dangerous chemical in the food. And they're worried that by eating microwave food, they're giving themselves cancer. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of the three categories. We absolutely know the first two aren't true. You can easily measure it. And the third one takes a little bit of a discussion, but is also nothing 
to worry about as well. In fact, microwaves are amongst the safest way to cook. It produces the least negative outcomes compared. Let me step back for a second. Cooking food is a safe thing to do on balance. You can sear food on the grill and get it so hot that you create dangerous chemicals, which are in fact carcinogenic. And you don't want to overcook your bacon. You don't want to overcook your burgers. You don't want to char them. It's dangerous. Microwaves never char. They're more like steaming. So they're already safer than cooking on the grill and on a flat top. Hmm. And they're just warming the food just like any other heat source. And they do it pretty gently and over a large area with no point concentrations of forces. So they're just a lot safer for cooking than any other way of preparing food, other than steaming. I would say steaming and microwaving are about similar in terms of um, of food safety. Hmm. But that doesn't prevent people from believing, no matter the science, I've talked to enough you know, crazy anti-microwave people that they're <laughs> like, well, there's all this documentation that proves otherwise. And I feel like I'm talking to an anti-vaccination person, right? <laughs> or they believe that the world is flat because there's documentation otherwise, or it's like a QAnon person. I, it's, I don't want to lump them into a category of ignorance, but here I'm saying it. Like, it drives me to the point of insanity because they just stop using any kind of logic or reason. And I cannot argue or have a conversation with someone that wants to not use any kind of reason or science. And I'm not a scientist, but I follow people like you and it makes sense. And I know enough of science to be like, this is totally acceptable. And the people that I really trust in food science all say, this is totally safe. And as you said, it's probably one of the safest ways to cook. Yet, I'm the wrong sort of spokesperson for this. So how do we get people to sort of believe that it's safe? Because just what you said, the information you just said is already out there, but people don't want to listen to it. Yeah, so this is, you're you're touching a very interesting subject because as you said, it goes beyond microwave cooking. It goes to things like vaccinations and wearing masks and all these other things, which the evidence is unequivocal. And my experience working with people who, who deny facts like the warming, like wearing masks, is uh, there's a certain group of people you're never going to reach. You're just going to have to write them off because they're not listening. But there are people who genuinely want to listen. And, and the way I usually approach it is I'll sit down and say, say to a parent, say, you want the best for your child, right? And they say, of course I want the best for my child, whether this is vaccination or, or microwave oven. And so, so, so you would want to choose the best way to cook, which was safest for your children. That's really what you care about. That's what I care about. We both agree our children come first. And so now let's just talk about a couple of things. And so you don't go after the microwaves. Initially say, you know, is food safe? Is there anything dangerous in food? Well, you know, food is, you have to understand a lot of the food we eat is intentionally poisoned by nature because it thinks we're a caterpillar trying to eat it. So, you know, the skin on an apple is full with all sorts of pesticides. You try to eat cassava, it will try to kill you. It's got glycophosphates (laughs) in it. Lots of things out there want to kill you. And so you just begin to talk to people that there's a lot of risk out there. Because a lot of people think that it's either binary, no risk, or some risk. So you just kind of talk about what are the risks of overeating and too many vitamins. And and then eventually you come to the microwaves and say, well, where is microwaves on this axis of danger or no danger? And you can kind of bring people over to listen to you. My experience has been it takes a half hour a person. And it cannot be done in bulk. Mm-hmm. You can't write an article and just say, here's the answer, because people already are going to reject it. You really have to connect one-on-one with a person, tell them about this, these other facts they might be aware, unaware of, and then in that context, they'll finally come around, perhaps, to believing you. But it's extremely difficult. Professor, you do a lot of work with you know, amazing ribs and, and sort of like in the barbecue world, too. And mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of the stuff that you write about and talk about is myth-busting, right? dry brining, searing, what these things are really doing. And uh, I mean, this question is maybe as much for Dave as, any, as it is for you, but is cooking or food, is our world especially susceptible to fallacies? <laughs> like what is happening when you sear meat? What's happening when you microwave? Why is it, have you found, like when you're talking about food, that these myths are more prevalent? I have. I found, because I think people believe that food has curative powers, 
uh, as well. And so they see food both from a medicinal point of view and not. And there's this long tradition, of course, of using food and herbs and natural ingredients. Um, the difficulty is, like I said, I mean, I'll tell you what drives me crazy are superfoods. People talk about superfoods. <laughs> now, this is something that a marketeer created pretty much. And maybe the food has a little more vitamin C in it than some other product, maybe by 10% or 20%. And they'll just say, well, it's obviously great for you because it's got all these ingredients. It's got a lot of potassium and vitamin C. But what you have to ask yourself is there are about 500 chemicals in any natural food you pick up. You know, an apple, maple syrup, name it. Why do you think those other 499 aren't poisonous? Because I know they're poisonous. <laughs> and so, you know, this superfood that might have a little bit more vitamin C in it could have an alkaloid that's very busy trying to break, tear your brain apart and kill you. You know, you ever eat a green potato? Green potato will give you a headache you'll never forget because of the chemicals that are in the skin, which are there trying to kill insects. We eat hot peppers. That's got capsaicins. Well, that's in there in the ovaries of the pepper trying to deter insects from eating the babies of the pepper. Well, that's kind of a warning to you and me that we shouldn't be eating, you know, Szechuan peppercorns and we shouldn't be eating habaneros. They're there to try to kill you, but people do anyway. <laughs> and so people lack perspective when it comes to food because tradition is so, because, because A, it's like sex. You know, it's hard to tell people whether sex is good or bad. For People get social diseases because the sex part is so good, even though the, the social disease is bad. And it's the same thing with food. They like it. They, they want to believe that wine is good for you because someone did a study, which was, by the way, paid for by the wine industry. Um, <laughs> My favorite so thing people, in the world. It, it's like sex. People like food. They like the flavors. There's a tradition of healing using food. This one's really hard. I try to mm -hmm. stay away from a lot of those on, on, on my blog. I refer to it as settling bar fights. So, you know, I can settle the question like, should you cook fat up or fat down when you're smoking a brisket? It's a religious <laughs> argument, but it's not quite as strong an argument as wearing masks. And I could do the experiment and show people. I find people at the end of the day tend to believe those kinds of experiments. It's very hard to do an experiment to prove to people they should wear a mask. That's exactly how Chang has been talking about. I mean, not even just with microwaves, but Dave, you've been talking about us coming late to this realization that Dr. Blonder just mentioned, that people hold truths and opinions about food with religious fervor. You can't yeah. tell them that something is good or bad because they believe it to be the other thing. Yes. Very much, uh, except that I'm not as smart as Professor Fonder. Um, you know, and I don't have the, the infinite amount of data that is in his brain to sort of back it up all the time, other than my rudimentary over-reductive belief is most, you know, five years ago, I said all cultural truths, most cultural truths that include food are almost always wrong. <laughs> you know, there's oh, nothing yeah. immutable about them. And... That should tell you everything about when someone tells you something's the right way or they don't like something. What I do is I, I sort of I always ask myself, is someone not liking something or is an idea in culture a bad idea because culture says it's bad or because it's a personal preference or is it literally and empirically proven to be bad? And that's how I got on this MSG kick because I was like, something's not right here. Right? You know, MSG is perfectly, perfectly safe, and very few people have a reaction to it. Thank uh, you. I mean, oh, very, man. very few people do. <laughs> but you can, you, I mean, certainly you can you have a sensitivity to it, or, or like you can say that, but you can't be allergic to it. No. And, you know, look, but, but people's um, mental constructs, their philosophical models change over time. So, you know, a thousand years ago, uh, an herbalist would say, look, this root looks like a male body, and therefore it's good for sexual prowess, because it looks like a man. Sounds right to me. that's all you need to know, right? <laughs> that's all you need to know. It's, it's obvious. It looks like a man. <laughs> Therefore, it, it'll work. Now, of course, today we kind of laugh at that, but it made sense then. And we're in the same kind No, no, kind strong of, agree. I agree with that entirely, Dr. Blonder. <laughs> and then you get into things like biodynamic wines, and it just kind of goes on and on and on. People take their belief system and impose it on their food choices, which... As long as it's benign, I really don't care. Occasionally, it's dangerous. 
occasionally people overeat a certain kind of food and therefore they're underserving their body. You know, that kind of thing happens now and then. But normally it's benign, it's relatively benign. This episode is brought to you by Smucker's Uncrustables. I love a food hack. Check out Uncrustables, the best part of the sandwich. It's a round, crimped sandwich made with soft, pillowy bread filled with peanut butter and jelly. The best part is you simply freeze and thaw them, pop them straight from the freezer into a lunchbox for less work on a busy morning. You'll find Smucker's Uncrustables in the freezer aisle. Learn more at Uncrustables.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Look to your left, look to your right. Yep, no one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. So at the very beginning of this, you talked about two reasons why people are scared or tentative about microwaves. One is the, the health and safety stuff that, you know, hopefully we've dispelled a little bit here. The other is the notion that food cooked in a microwave is going to be flaccid, rubbery, worse than food not cooked in a microwave. What do you think about that part of things? How much truth is there to that? And does it have to do with, you know, how people are using microwaves or what is it? Yeah, so that one, there's it's partially true. It has to do with the fact that um, different kinds of ingredients cook at different speeds in a microwave oven. Whereas, you know, in a regular pot of stew stuck in an oven, everything cooks at about the same rate. But in a microwave oven, salty foods cook a lot faster than dry uh-huh. foods. Frozen foods, turns out frozen water does not absorb microwave at all by about a factor of a thousand. So if you put frozen food in a microwave oven, it just passes straight through, takes forever. But once it finally melts, then it starts to cook very quickly. And so that also is a problem. And then the order in which you stack the food matters because if you have two thick layers of salami, and salami has fat and salt in it, so salami wants to cook really fast in a microwave oven, and you put that surrounding, say, some cheese, the cheese might not melt, or the tomato might not heat up, because basically all the energy is absorbed by the salami on the outside. That doesn't happen in a regular oven. The other problem is it cooks so quickly, it's quite easy to dry something out. It's quite possible to overcook food. There's really no window of time in a microwave oven, where in a regular oven, you know, maybe you have, a, well, you know, sometimes with cookies, a minute here or there, it's too crispy or it's too soggy. Microwave oven, 15 seconds sometimes, you can overshoot. And so it's easy not to cook properly in a microwave oven. It takes a little bit of attention to detail and you have to modify your recipes specifically for, you know, use in a microwave oven. Uh, the other thing is, is microwave ovens don't sear. It is more like steaming. And if you want to get that searing color and that searing flavor, you're not going to get it in the microwave oven without special equipment. There are special ovens that can sear microwave ovens, but most homes don't contain such a fancy machine. So it doesn't sear and it cooks a little too quickly and it cooks different kinds of ingredients at different speeds. And you need to just take all that into account. But if you do, you can cook great food in a microwave oven, but you just need to understand its strengths and its weaknesses. I feel so vindicated Um, (laughs) because when people find out or they come over to my apartment and they'd see me like reheating, you know, my son's food, they're like, what are you trying to do? I'm like, okay, this is one way that saves me time. The microwave saves me an extraordinary time for everything you just laid out. But also I've never really cooked at home. 
in my life until mm-hmm. my wife was uh, pregnant with our, our son. And I had to spend more time truly feeding somebody that wasn't like a customer and, you know, short on time. But I, I want to make something delicious as quickly as possible. And there are a few chefs that I've worked for or I admire that have implemented the microwave in their sort of restaurants or recipe development. And like a lot of chefs that I've known or cooks would say, look down upon that. I was like, that's not cooking. And I was like, hmm. So much like the MSG, I was like, I think that there's something more here. So over the years, I've just screwed around the microwave. And now applying it to home cooking, it has been a total revelation in terms of saving time. And as you say, the steaming element, but also I don't use it to finish food from start to finish. I use it as a step to carve out like 20, 30 minutes in a dish. And it's indispensable in how I cook day to day. And people just get very upset. You know, one of the recipes that I posted online a while back was frozen chicken thighs. Like I hate cross-contamination. I hate washing my hands, particularly at home. And I never want to put chicken on a cutting board for all real good reasons, unless I have Mm. to. And I don't usually have a bleach bucket or whatever like we do in restaurants. So like I portion it out. I put it in a microwave container, say a pound of chicken thighs. I put it in a microwave oven for say eight to 12 minutes, depending on how much chicken. And it cooks three quarters or sometimes all the way through. And then I just use some scissors, chop it all up, put the whole container with some aromatics in a, in a nonstick wok, add whatever I want. And I have dinner in literally like 30 seconds after everything's been cooked in the microwave. It is like the dish I make the most. And people just are confused by it. And they're like, why would a chef that's worked in like all these great kitchens, blah, 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 want to do something like this? And I'm like, because it makes, it allows me to make delicious food fast. I I use the microwave to um, par-cook carrots and then I'll sear them off in a pan with the food. So I don't have to, you know, try to cook it all the way through. I can get a nice sear and it's done. And I'll crisp up pancetta to put on a salad. Or have you ever made any of those microwave cakes? Yes. The, the chocolate mm-hmm. cakes, the, the quick <laughs> ones. You know, those are kind of fun to make. So we use it for uh, rewarming, preheating, pre-cooking foods. Thin foods, we'll dry them out. Uh, you can actually melt the cheese inside of a toasted cheese sandwich and then quickly. Because you know one of the problems with the toasted cheese is sometimes the inside doesn't want to cook. And by the time the inside cooks, the bread is kind of toast. So you can you can melt the cheese inside the sandwich and then finish it on a grill. But you need to be a little creative about it to really get the best out of the microwave. Mm-hmm. And that's why I believe I joke, but not really. It is amazing to me that a machine, the microwave, is in the kitchen. It is really a machine from the future here in present day. It, I don't understand why people aren't more in awe that... Here's the machine that you press some buttons and it's a little bit like the Jetsons to me. It's like, boom, not everything, but a lot of things that you can work with and with a little know-how will save you so much time. And oftentimes not just save you time, make the dish better. And frozen foods clearly is one of those ingredients that work really well, reheating leftovers. So again, like, I don't know what else I can do other than to have one of the world's foremost experts on microwaves Mm -hmm tell our audience, like, it's safe. You should use it. And in a lot of ways, it's healthier because one of my favorite ways of just cooking cauliflower or any vegetables is put it in a glass container and microwave it for like four or five minutes and put some of our chili crunch on. It's a little bit of lemon juice. It's perfect. Always perfect. And again, like the know-how is if I put a whole head of cauliflower in there, it probably won't work as well. So yeah, you got to put some work into it, break it down into smaller pieces and you know it's going to cook a lot more evenly and I just don't know what else to do. I'd also say, I think that the microwave cooks fish maybe more consistently than any other instrument possible, especially if you want it steamed. Like you're not going to get the Maillard reaction in a pan fried or a pan roasted fish. But a lot of times I'll take a frozen piece of Arctic char, salmon, halibut, or whatever, put it in a glass container or the container that I've been working on, microwave for three minutes. It is perfect. Mm -hmm. It is perfect every time. And I can't for the life of me explain to anyone else why they shouldn't cook fish this way. Everyone's like, fish cookery is so hard. Yes, it is. But microwave cooking is maybe one of the most underrated things about the microwave is putting a fish in there. 
Well, and, and this gets to actually one of the other myths, which is that microwaves cook from the inside out. You know, you sometimes hear that they, the waves go all the way in. And microwaves cook from the outside in. It turns out they penetrate about a centimeter, about a half an inch. And you know this, if you ever try to warm up a thick soup or something, uh, you put it in the microwave oven and the outside of the soup is hot, but you stir it up and it's cold again because the inside, the microwaves don't go much deeper than them. But for a piece of fish, it cooks from both sides, you know, a, a filet or something like that. It's cooking the whole thing simultaneously. Instead of cooking it from the skin in, it's cooking the inside. As long as it's under about a half an inch, it's cooking the whole thing at once. And so you don't overcook the outside and undercook the inside. And for something like fish, which has a very narrow window of getting a little bit rubbery, it's brilliant for that uh, because you, you don't overcook the outside and you don't make this kind of rubbery skin on the outside. So it's, it's great for that, but it won't work with something thick, a really thick piece of meat or a really thick piece of fish. The inside will, like, I think you find out when you do your frozen chicken trick, the inside mm-hmm. is still a little bit of pink. Yep. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And then you finish it on the frying pan. Yep. Which, which is fine. So fish fillets, absolutely ideal for a, a, a microwave. I mean, Dave knows this. I've told him this before, but I, I grew up eating my family, you know, Chinese steam fish where you generally, traditionally you steam it with ginger and scallion and then kind of house it with soy sauce and then hot oil over the top to kind of cook the herbs. Like this is a very traditional way of, of steaming fish. I grew up eating this out of the microwave. <laughs> my parents would steam whole fish in the microwave, then do the soy sauce and oil treatment. And I always thought it was amazing and, and <laughs> until I did it in college and my friends were all taken aback and disgusted by the idea of throwing a whole fish in the microwave. The one thing it brings up for me and a question that I actually don't know the answer to and was sort of shamed about recently on another podcast was, you know, we always wrapped our everything we microwaved in plastic wrap. Can you talk a little bit about that part of it, the plastic and the microwave stuff? Because otherwise, I'm, I'm fully on board, but I'm realizing recently that uh, I think I microwave a lot more plastic than I'm supposed to, and that more than my friends do. Sure, and that's a really good question. And, and, and just, you know, full disclosure, I never microwave anything in the plastic container that it arrives in. Even when it says microwave safe or whatever? Absolutely not. Absolutely okay. not. <laughs> Um, uh, well, first of all, you have to understand there's something like 50,000 chemicals that we use uh, through the course of a year in plastics and hand lotion and all sorts of other places. We've only tested about a thousand of them for safety. Oh, good. Most of them are completely untested. And so when someone says it's safe, show me the data. There's almost never any actual data. It's usually based on historical analogs, but there's no actual data. That's the first thing. So we don't really know whether that package is safe in theory. But in practice, here's the concern people have. Plastics, if you get them too hot, plastics are organic materials, just like our skin, just like food. If you get them too hot, they start to break apart and either form new chemicals, which are dangerous, or get into your food. And the microwave-safe plastics have a high temperature that happens, which is why they're thought to be safe. But a little bit of nasty chemicals are leaching out even at low temperatures. Also, a lot of plastics have something called plasticizers in them. That's what makes the plastic flexible. So the lid can snap on. Those plasticizers Mm -hmm. are kind of an oily compound that's inside the plastic and can leak out. And some of them are known to be carcinogenic. Now, the good news is the levels are quite low, you know, and the dose makes the poison in most cases. So I would say that it's unequivocally true that if you cook in plastic containers, a little bit of the plastic is getting into your food. And in some cases, it's dangerous. Now you have to ask, is most of the danger occurring because there's a power plant 200 miles away that's burning coal going into the air? God damn, yes, that's where most of the danger is. It's not in the plastic. It's in burning the coal to make the electricity to make the microwave oven to heat it up. That's where the danger is. And in the truck that drove the food to the store, but there is a little residual danger there. So what I, I tell people is the plastic containers are not on my top 10 lists of thing I worry about when it comes to food and chemical dangers, but it's, it's in the top 50 or 100, but it's not in the top 10 by any means. So if you want a microwave in those plastic containers, assuming it's a reputable company who didn't put really crappy plastic out there, it's probably fine. I don't do it myself, because I never know where the plastic came from 
And frankly, I like microwaving in the container that I'm going to serve in and also put back in the fridge for leftovers. So for me, it's no extra step to take it out of the container and put it in a Corel ware and cook it in there. It's fine. But it, so it's, it's a tiny danger, but not a big danger. Chris, you see, that's basically what I was trying to say. Just not nearly as articulate or well-educated or backed up with reason. Uh, I was waiting I was waiting for a, a, a proper response from somebody. Uh, plastic wrap, yes or no, on top so, of the food? So uh, plastic wrap, actually, there's two things about plastic wrap I want to mention. One is that plastic wrap used to be made of uh, PVC. Mm-hmm. And the people have always been worried about the chlorides in the PVC. And the other way, that's why it works so well. So the old plastic wrap, really onion odors would not go through them. They really did block odors. Mm-hmm. But they've now changed those plastic wraps to be mostly polyethylene rather than PVC. Polyethylene is very safe. It's used to implant in your body. So it's not at all a dangerous plastic. It's not as effective as PVC. It also melts at a slightly lower temperature, which is why your plastic wrap kind of curls up in the microwave oven. Yeah. Yes, it does. <laughs> Can I ask... Because this was shocking for me when we were working on it, but seeing a glass bowl with metal in it, I was shocked to see that it was not a problem because I always grew up with the understanding that if you put anything metal in a microwave, it's going to like explode. And I was so surprised that that was not the case if done correctly. Can mm-hmm. you explain that? Sure. So when you put metal into a microwave oven, it's like salty water on steroids. Uh, it absorbs microwave energy very, very efficiently. Now, if it's a very thin piece of metal, like aluminum foil, it's going to shake the aluminum foil back and forth, and it's so thin it's going to start to heat up, and it's going to get so hot you can actually melt the aluminum foil, or you can create a spark that'll jump from the aluminum foil to the wall. Have you ever done those microwave grapes? You know, where you, you split a grape in half, and you lay it inside, and you get a ball of blue plasma. You have to, whoa, if you haven't whoa, done whoa, that, wait. you have to try that. <laughs> I'm going to do this this very <laughs> afternoon. Wait, what happens? You stick a grape in the microwave? So what you do is you take a grape and cut it all the way through, leaving a little hinge of skin behind. Uh-huh. And then you open it up so it looks like a figure eight. Yeah. And you stick it in the microwave oven, you turn it on. And what happens is uh, microwave ener- uh, currents go back and forth between the two sides. It's actually a little more complicated. It builds up a potential difference, but it doesn't matter. Currents go back and forth. And the current has to force its way through that little skin. And so much energy goes through there, it actually uh, gets so hot, you create a plasma like inside of a uh, neon bowl or a fluorescent what? tube. And it makes sparkling sounds, and it, it's a wonder to behold. Um, so you should try this with a grape. It'll work with uh, cherry tomatoes, too. It's not I mean, you just made my, my parenting job so much easier for the 90 seconds this is going to take to show my kids. You just saved my whole day. So aluminum foil is like that little thin membrane where you microwave the grapes, and it'll blow apart. And if it's got a sharp corner on it, it's like a lightning uh, protector. So it's going to attract the electricity, and it's going to spark. But if you put something soft and round in the middle, like a spoon, it'll get hot, it'll absorb energy, but it won't do anything like explode your oven. Now, if you take a cup with a spoon and put it right next to the wall in the oven, a spark might jump across there. If you inherited your grandmother's fine china, which had that gold foil patterning on it, they're going to explode as soon Mm -hmm. as you put it in the microwave oven. But if it's a thick piece of smooth metal, not too close to the wall, you can almost always get away with it. In fact, you can buy microwave ovens which have metal shelves, metal wire shelves. It's absolutely possible, but it all has to do with the thickness of the metal and whether it's smooth and whether it's too close to the walls. But there's nothing intrinsic about the metal. And if you do have metal properly in a microwave, it is 100% safe as well. Absolutely safe. It's not, the metal never gets hot enough for any of the chemicals to come out, assuming you're using a stainless steel spoon or something like that. It's perfectly safe. Nothing's going to come out of the metal, which is going to poison your food. You're absolutely fine. Can I ask, what is up with every manufacturer of microwaves using different sort of power and wattages? Like, can't we have some uniformity? Because it's a real nightmare trying to tell people a recipe and they're just like, I have no idea how to attest the power of my microwave. So you do. there is a way to test the power on your microwave. And that is um, take a, a mixing cup with a, a cup of water in it. There's a room temperature. Put the microwave on high for one minute and measure the temperature of the water. 
a more powerful microwave oven will get hotter faster. So in my microwave oven, a cup of water and three minutes hits the boil. That's what it takes. Three minutes, one cup, my microwave oven, I think it's 750 watts. If you were in a 350 watt, it would take twice as long to get warm. So you can tell people, do this test, and that'll tell you how powerful your oven is. Because what they tell you on the box isn't always actually the power it delivers. You know, that's sometimes it's just advertising. So you can test your oven and just use water. The problem with power in the ovens is this. The thing that makes the microwaves is a, a device called a magnetron, which is a vacuum tube. Uh, magnetrons are problematic in a couple of ways. First of all, the way they make the microwaves is they boil electrons off a hot wire, just like inside a light bulb. Remember the old incandescent light bulbs? Mm-hmm. You know how incandescent light bulbs only last two, 3,000 hours, which is mm-hmm. why we're not using them any longer? Well, microwave magnetrons only last two, 3,000 hours. So microwave mm-hmm. ovens often don't last more than 10 years because the high voltage power supply goes out or the magnetron hot wire burns out. Um, so that's one problem with it. The other problem with it is it doesn't emit microwaves until you have a, a minimum amount of energy in the magnetron. It's like whistling. You know, if you just go blow gently through your mouth, you don't get a whistle. When you blow hard enough, you finally get a whistle. Well, it's the same thing with the micro- magnetron. It doesn't emit microwaves until you have kind of a minimum amount of energy. So that's why you can't actually have a microwave oven that has a low power like a really gentle warming. They, there is no low-power mm-hmm. microwave. It's always on. And so they tend to be two, 300 watts is about the minimum you can turn these things on and get them to emit microwaves efficiently. And then you can't turn them down to control the power like you can with an oven with the, the temperature knob. Well, Doc, I mean, Professor, what about power levels, right? Because I find that if I, I can make a beautiful custard at about 30% power on my microwave, and usually 30% is the best for any microwave I've, I've learned. And screwing around with the power levels has allowed me to sort of expand my repertoire of things that I can cook in a microwave. But that's all personal discovery because I can't really find, because the stuff that I like to cook, it's not out there. So that's like the next sort of level, I think, to let people know that you could use the power levels. So sure. when you were saying you can't sort of change the power levels, but you can change the power levels. So what they're doing is they're doing a fake a reduction in the power level. When they say it's 30% power, that means the magnetron is on for 30% of the time. And you can hear the oven sometimes go, mm, quiet. And so what it's doing is it turns it on full power because the magnetron really doesn't work unless it's full power. So it's on full power for three seconds and then it's off for seven seconds. And then it's on for three seconds, then it's off for seven seconds. And what that does is it drives the heat into the food the magnetron turns off and then the heat kind of just diffuses, just evens out. And then it gets a burst of energy and then it kind of evens out. And so that gives time for, remember the microwave only deposits energy in the outer half inch or so. During the time it's off, the heat just diffuses in just like regular cooking in the oven. So like you say, for a custard, you want to put a little bit of heat in and then let it spread out in the custard because you want a custard to be very uniformly cooked like you would normally do in a bain-marie. So it's not really actually lower power. It's just less frequent power is the way the microwave oven works. And that's not exactly the same as lower power, but you kind of fake it. And that's what they all do is they fake lower power by pulsing the magnetron on and off. <laughs> that's that's, the- that's I'm so glad you explained <laughs> that because in my, again, dumb brain, I was like, I think it's shut off. <laughs> and then it's back on, but I didn't have the scientific answer. So uh, that's. Uh, I have a little microwave detector you can put in the microwave oven. It's like a little LED that lights up when the microwaves are on. And you can actually watch it turn on and off, you know, every few seconds as the uh, microwave. Because yeah, you're right. You can, you can hear it. So that is the magnetron. So I, I'm oh so happy God. to know that's the case. <laughs> This is the most useful episode of the Dave Chang Show ever recorded. Like, this is the most audience service. Can I ask you, I mean, Chang, I know you wanted this to remain one of life's mysteries for you personally. So if you want to... Just go straight to it, man. Hot hot pocket sleeve. (laughs) Please. uh, Can you explain to me why the hot pocket sleeve works? Because I don't understand why it works. Sure. Okay, so that's something called a a microwave susceptor. And they're not just... You're just, you know, telling people more than they want to know because it's not just hot pocket sleeves. This is underneath the pizzas to keep the crust warm. It's inside a lot of microwave popcorn 
and it's in some frozen food containers. What that is, is that's actually a, a thin layer of a conducting plastic. Usually it has carbon in it or aluminum. It heats up faster than salami, salty salami. So what happens is, is when the microwave energy comes in, it hits this, and instead of heating up the hot pocket, 90% of it goes into this thin layer of plastic, gets that up to like 400 degrees. Hmm. And so now you're actually cooking by contact, just like on a flat top. And so that's the way it crisps up a, a, a pizza and it crisps up your hot pocket. You're actually creating an internal flat top. Microwaves go into this metallic plastic thing called a susceptor, heats up, and then that cooks the food by regular conduction. And you can buy, you used to be able to buy these um, ceramic plates you put in a microwave oven, you turn them on for five minutes, the plate will get up to 500 degrees. Then you can throw food on top of it and it sears it in the microwave oven. So you can buy these microwave warming or heating plates. And this is kind of a, a cheap disposable version of that. So the little sleeve itself is getting up to 400 degrees, like the actual surface of this thing. And that's why you crisp it. Oh my God, my mind is absolutely blown. And that's what's in the popcorn. (laughs) That's what's in the popcorn. A lot of popcorn bags have that kind of a black square. If you've ever torn one open, you'll see one of those in the wall of the bag. And that's so that that black thing heats up and then it heats up the uh, hydrogenated oil and then the oil heats up the popcorn. This is the greatest day ever. <laughs> I know, man. Um, can you? Uh, the other uh, a few months ago, because I like to clean my microwave. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. Because it drives me like I hate going to homes and I see their microwave just crusted over and it's gross. Or inevitably, someone forgets after something explodes in a microwave, they forget to clean it properly. And like I just always feel like that's just a hazard. <laughs> if you let, because like things can burn potentially, but um, I got over industrious and I wound up breaking <laughs> off the side of the deflector, the, the which seems like the susceptor on the right side that deflects the microwaves down to the food. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked to realize that it was just a flimsy piece of plastic that reminded me of the hot pocket sleeve. Is it the same material? No, that's something else. So, um, this is the hotspot issue, which we hadn't gotten to in microwaves. So uh, microwaves are waves, and they're about, you know, two, three inches long, and your oven's about 12 inches long. So it's going to fit like three or four waves inside. You ever look at the bottom of a, a swimming pool when there are waves on top? You see bright areas and dark areas. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing happens in your microwave oven. The waves come in, and some areas have more concentration of waves, and some areas have weaker. And so your food can heat a small location can overheat and underheat another. So what they do in a microwave oven to prevent that, because that used to be a terrible problem, is you do two things. One is you put it on a turntable, and the turntable rotates the food underneath the hot and the cold, the cold caustics, areas of concentration, and kind of evens out the cooking a little bit. But the problem with that rotating tray is you throw away 30% of the area of the oven out in the corners where you can't even cook anything, And it's mechanical and it makes noise. So what they've done is something really clever where you can't see it behind the wall of the microwave oven. There's a fan, a metal fan. And the microwaves hit this fan and then go into the microwave oven. And then every time the fan moves, it redirects the waves in different directions. So now there aren't any hot spots in the oven. So you can, modern microwave ovens have gotten rid of that rotating turntable, but they're more uniform than the old rotating turntable because they use this is called a mode chopper. It's chopping up the microwaves and sending them in d- different directions. Um, sometimes some microwave ovens will have internal baffles to direct air inside for ventilation and also sometimes to direct the microwaves. So it's actually a partially, what they're, what everyone's trying to do is to have a uniform distribution of energy inside the oven, just like in a regular hot oven. They're trying to even it out. And that's one of the many tricks they use to even it so out. So this this cardboard-like thing uh, <laughs> that when I, I was like, oh, I don't need this, um, it stopped working as well. My, my food was not uniform in its heat. And I was like, yeah. uh, this probably deflects the microwaves <laughs> down to the food. And I was like, oh, man, I can't. I can't use glue. I can't hammer this in. No. So I stuck rice on the corners and I just use that as a organic material to like glue it to the microwave and it works great. And 
I think uh, when I told this to my wife, she's like, is this okay? I was like, I'm not a scientist, but I'm going to ask someone much smarter than me. It's safe to use my microwave because it's now glued. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no, no problem with that. That's a creative, natural adhesive. That's wonderful. But it is needed. Believe me, they do not put that in there because it's unnecessary. It's not decorative. In fact, you have to kind of look around the corner to see it usually. It's usually up in the corner somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's there for a good reason. Now, my I've had microwave ovens that had those little triangular shoots on them, and I've had other microwave ovens that don't. It's not required. Different manufacturers have different solutions to the uniformity problem. But uh, there is definitely a uniformity issue. Better microwave ovens are excellent that way, and the cheap ones have dead spots in them where you just can't cook at all. I have one last, I'm just, this is, like you said, Dave, this is the best day. I just, we just get to have, it's like microwave fantasy camp for us. Uh, one last question for me. And this is like reverse, what are the opposite of being devil's advocate is, as like a microwave enthusiast, I have this notion in my head that rather than blanching vegetables in water, I want to, like you said, par cook all of my my vegetables in a microwave and then finish them in a pan. And I have this idea in my head that par cooking in the microwave is somehow I'm losing less nutrients than I would be if I was boiling it. Am I just is that a, is that a fallacy in the opposite direction, or is that is there any truth to that? Oh no, notion? it's absolutely true. Uh, bo- yes. Boiling bo- boiling vegetables will extract not all not all vitamins are water soluble, but the water soluble vitamins will come out and go into the liquid and they're gone forever. So steaming is well known to be uh, have a higher concentration of vitamins than than boiling or or simmering. No question about it. Oh man, this is true vindication, Dave. I know. That's why I say it's it's literally not the safest way to cook, not the worst way to cook to a lot mm-hmm. of the people that sort of also look down you on. know if you use less energy for people who care, you have to ask yourself what's the environmental and safety health cost of all that extra energy that you're wasting when you're heating up an oven. Mm-hmm. And that has a real cost to society and to individuals. So maybe they don't care. Maybe they're worried about the uh, nuke in the microwave <laughs> oven, but they also should worry about what's coming out of the smokestacks at the power plant. Yeah. And w- one last thing, because this is an argument that I usually see where people respond to an anti-microwave person is they're like, but you're okay using a cell phone or a smartphone in your pocket. Don't you have a problem with that? If you have arguments against using a microwave that then you should have arguments you're logically speaking you should have arguments using a smartphone in your pocket but that's safe too yet people can sort of parse that out and i don't understand why so can you say definitively that a smartphone is maybe even technically more dangerous than using a microwave Uh, so a smartphone emits about a thousand times more microwave energy than a microwave oven it's still (laughs) safe it's still safe. Don't get me wrong. We're doing an experiment on 3 billion people. And if it was causing trouble, we would, you know, have a pretty good idea by now that microwaves are a problem. But it's, it's still safe, but it's a lot more energy than your microwave oven is emitting without, without a doubt. So someone was going to complain about a microwave and the fact that they're probably typing in these comments on a smartphone, storing it in their pocket or next to their head, they should really throw away their phone if we're going to follow their logic about not using a microwave. That, that is absolutely true. But you remember, smartphones are a lot like uh, sex. Every once in a while, there's a study that shows that smartphones supposedly cause cancer. They're always debunked later, but every once in a while, it happens. And no one ever stops using it because it's so convenient and fun and cool. So uh, people are highly illogical when it comes to making risk-based decisions. This is the, like, I I feel so happy. I mean, the world is sort of in a terrible place today, but man, I feel pretty good with this information that I just gleaned from you today. That is amazing. I hope by the time this airs, the world will be in a better place. Oh, man. So good. Professor, um, I am so, so happy that you joined us and hopefully you can join us uh, many times in the future because um, I just think what you do is amazing and we need people to have some science in their life when they cook food because it makes food more delicious and there's more opportunities to make things like this. If I could just ask one favor, and that is if, if it turns out I said something that was incorrect, which is always possible, try to post a correction on your Instagram page or something so we don't continue to repeat bad information. I think everything I said was right, but if someone points out it's wrong and it's true in retrospect, let your readers or 
listeners know, because I hate I hate to be the source of more misinformation. I highly doubt you're the source of misinformation. <laughs> if anything, that's coming from me. Um, so we certainly uh, will if there's anything that's not accurate. Okay, great. In that case, I'd be glad to come back. <laughs> yeah, I think that we can all use a little bit more fact-checking in our world. Guys, when I said this was one of my favorite podcasts, I wasn't joking. Embrace your microwave. Dust off your microwave. Give it some love. It's in like 90% of households in America, but like 10 or 15% of people actually use it. More people are cooking at home than ever before. Just mess around with your microwave. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And again, I feel like it's the Jetsons cartoon right here. It's a future technology here in present day. And people are just sort of perplexed by it or scared of it. And there's nothing to be scared of. And even though I've been saying these things, listen, I'm not an expert. So we got the expert. We got one of the smartest people that's spent a a lifetime researching this kind of technology in your kitchen to tell you that a microwave is not only safe, it is oftentimes the healthiest, best way for you to make your food. And energy efficient in a lot of different ways. So thank you, Greg Blonder. Check out his website at genuineideas.com and give us a five-star rating on our iTunes podcast page. If you send in a question, we will answer it on our next Ask Dave at majordomemedia.com. You can also send questions into there. Happy inauguration. Stay safe, everybody. Wear masks and uh, talk to you next week. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.